Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So today we're going to talk about black boxes. Yes, data collection devices on airplanes. Uh, no, no, no. Although no, that no, would no. <laughs> be kind of interesting. Uh, but no, today we're going to talk about uh, machine learning models. And one of the most frequent and legitimate complaints about them is that they are black boxes. You put something in and then something comes out and you have no idea what happens on the inside and uh and this is a real this is a real thing and we're going to talk about some work that people have done to try to open up the black box a little bit make models more interpretable awesome you are listening to linear digressions okay so before we actually dive into the machine learning part of it let's kind of take a step back and talk about what is a black box so you kind of gave a a quick summary uh but a black box is basically something where you put something in, something comes out, but you have no idea what happens in the in, in the middle space. So this could be a machine learning algorithm like we're going to be talking about today. Um, actually, one of my favorite black boxes is the human brain. We have no idea how the human brain works, even though every one of us has one. We just know that if you give it certain kinds of input, it'll give certain kinds of output. For example, if you keep poking somebody, then that brain is probably going to get pissed off and get angry right and then exhibit certain kinds of output like maybe uh, a flushing face or punching someone i don't know um that's kind yeah. of a silly example but well, fundamentally no, it's, it, it's not a silly example i think it was actually kind of a that was an interesting choice of of <laughs> uh, cases to talk about because of all the black boxy machine learning models uh, neural nets, in my opinion, are among the black boxiest. Like you know, yeah. you know what you send in, you know what comes out, but trying to understand what's going on on the inside, either through math or through visualizations or any of these things, can be really, really hard. Both because mm -hmm. of the structure of the algorithm itself, and also because of the complexity and just things get all mixed together. And it's yeah. yeah uh, and neural nets are based on human brains, the way they work. The original inspiration of the structure of the algorithm, yeah, is the human brain. So yeah. there's something about there's something about brains that is hard to really understand. Brains are brains are hard. I don't understand mine. Me neither. So uh, let's go into machine learning world. Sure. Yeah. So one of the uh, things that maybe you've you've had this problem if you work with machine learning models, or it's a question that you might have had is. Let's suppose you have a machine learning model, and it can be. I'm I'm kind of model agnostic when I when I talk about this. It can be a linear model, it can be a decision tree, it can be a neural net, it can be an SVM, like anything. You have this model, and you send things into it. You send uh, features of some case that you want to classify. Let's say we'll take the case of classification. So you send in the features, and then it spits out a label, and then you want to understand why it gave you this label, which is mm -hmm. a, an extremely reasonable question to ask. It's like, okay, I know you're telling me that this is a picture of, uh, let's take the case of, of dogs and wolves, actually, because this was relevant for the, um, the paper that we're talking about. Oh, which I should okay. totally say what it is. Um, we're talking about a paper called Why Should I Trust You? Explaining the Predictions <laughs> of Any Classifier. This comes from uh, a trio of researchers at the University of Washington, and there's also uh, a pretty good software package that's on GitHub uh, that actually implements the the algorithm here. So I love that name. Uh, why should I trust you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the name of the algorithm that they actually wrote is called Lime, L-I-M-E. For what does that stand for? 
Locally interpretable model agnostic explanations. Okay. So they actually had a, a reason to name it Lime. I mean, yeah. a lot of, uh, of high-tech things these days are just lab- named after things like fruits. And- yeah, no, it's not the most gimmicky acronym that, that I've ever seen. It's, it's got a little bit, it's a little bit tethered to reality. But they yeah. have this, this good case in here of um, at some point they were building a classifier that was uh, classifying pictures of huskies, like the dog, uh, from pictures of wolves. So we'll use that example. You have some black box classifier. You send in a picture. It sort of takes all the pixels or the the patches. Um, patches are like the contigu- contiguous pixels that are very similar. Ah, uh, okay. Um, like pixel regions. Exactly, yeah. So it takes sort of that input information, something happens under the hood, and then it spits out, we think this is a dog or we think this is a husky. And, you know... Good luck that, if you want to try yeah. to explain why it's Yeah, that, that piece in the middle it. is like magic happens. Right. Um, and usually usually we hope that the magic is happening in, in a good way. And we have things like accuracy uh, or various kinds of performance metrics that can help us understand how well the magic under the hood might be doing its job. Right. But, but there you're just measuring the output. Yeah, and and there can be cases where accuracy or other kinds of metrics can fool you. Um, mm. And in fact, they, they give this as, as one of the motivations for doing this work in the first place is that accuracy is is a number that can be kind of like hacked in, in certain ways if things line up just wrong. And so you want to be a little bit careful. And uh, it's great if you can have something that is a little bit more interpretable to a human and that will help you avoid some of those like pitfalls of just leaning on a number. So can you give me an example of, of kind of the way that the stars could align? I mean, so we've got this model that's trained on a data set of pictures of huskies and pictures of wolves, and it's trying to you know decide which is which. Yeah. So the reason I came up with huskies and wolves is they actually engineered this example to be <laughs> to be a little bit be a little bit pathological what they did was they trained it on pictures where the husky is is in front of a background that has snow in it and the wolf does not oh okay and because huskies i don't know do huskies live more in snowy areas yeah they live in like alaska Right. Usually. So, so you can imagine but they like this live could in be, Chicago. you know, they, they live. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. it's a little bit. I mean, they've sort of artificially made. So it's somewhat a, contrived. Well, it's, it's the thing is, it's not. Um, yeah. There's this really famous case from the early days of image recognition where they had an algorithm. This was being done by like, the Department of Defense or something. And they wanted to have an image recognition algorithm for figuring out if there were tanks in photographs. And so they had all these photographs of tanks and then of not tanks <laughs> fed it to an, to an algorithm. And then the algorithm got really, really good at, you know, basically the, the training data set. Um, but they only realized later, <laughs> generalized really poorly. They only realized later that all of the tank pictures were taken during the day and all of the not tank pictures were taken at night. Oh, wow. And so it was basically just learning what day and night were and had no idea what a <laughs> tank was. So you're saying that this Husky example, um, even though it was contrived for this particular purpose on this paper, 
it, it first of all it could be not contrived like you could actually have a training data set that happens to align that wa- that way or maybe there's actually a pretty strong correlation between something like this like an animal that lives in the snow pretty c- exclusively and another animal you're comparing it to that doesn't really ever get photographed in front of snow and so the machine learning algorithm basically learns the wrong thing because of that correlation. Right. And so then what you want to do in those cases is you want to have a way of asking machine learning algorithm basically like, hey, why did you say that? And if it says something like, oh, mm. well, look at this, look at the snow in the background, that would be a different kind of explanation than, oh, I see that the dog in this picture uh is standing on top of a moose carcass, which probably means it's a wolf and not a husky or, or whatever. Wolves and huskies <laughs> yeah. actually look pretty similar. So it's hard so to think of where, a, an exact... This is where the yeah. black box part comes in. Oh, yeah, because a black box is not going to be able to like give you an answer to that question. But, right, okay. Um, but that is what these researchers are trying to um, unpack a little bit, see if there's something that can be done. The task here is to come up with what they call a good explanation, which has a few attributes of it. One is that it be interpretable for a human. Second is that it be locally faithful to how the idea is we we have this sort of like simpler model. It's something that's interpretable to a human. It's not going to be, it's not the same as the full super complex model, but in the area that we care about, it's close to the full complex model. So we call this local fidelity. And that's not the same as it being the same as the full model in, in other places. So we don't need it to extrapolate to other areas. It just needs okay. to tell me sort of like what's going on in the neighborhood that I care about. So you've got a, basically you have a similar version of the complex model that is representative within the area that you care about. Bingo. Yeah. Um, third is that you want it to be model agnostic. So ideally it would be something that you could send in any black box and it would be able to um, to give you explanations. It's not, for example, you don't have dependence on the structure of the model built into your explainer. That means that then oh. you can use it on other kinds of algorithms real easily. So big picture, the explainer, let's just call it the explainer, is actually a totally separate piece. It's, uh, it's the thing that they're describing in this paper. Yes. And you take the model of, say, the huskies and the wolves, and you want to be able to pass in this relatively complex model into the explainer with maybe some information about what kinds of things that you care about or you're looking for. And then the explainer should be able to take this model, create a simpler model, and then figure out from that simpler model uh, what's actually going on. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Um, And then the fourth thing that they say is that ideally you would want something that is kind of extensible from single predictions to the full the full model so by sort of taking lots of representative samples of the kinds of data that we're going to be using this model to classify we take those representative samples we kind of map out the entire reasonable space in which this model might be functioning and if all of those predictions look like they're making sense then we can say not only do we have confidence in the individual predictions that this model makes but we have confidence in the model itself in a more sort of general or global way so that's exciting because not only are you making a simple version based on this complex model and then getting explanations within that relatively small space of what you care about, but you could potentially say, 
I care about everything. Why don't you do that with all of these different pieces and then maybe give me insight into what this complex model is doing by building a bunch of different simple versions that all care about different things. Is that Does that make sense? Yeah, that's it, exactly. And so that's kind of the second half of this paper is this something called SP-LIME, which is where it, you have LIME, and LIME is an algorithm that looks for um, sort of the simple models that allow you to take sort of a subset of the features and decide which of those features are the most important. So these would be like the patches of pixels or the words. You say like, what are the words that are most important for the the prediction that you just made? And then we'll sample from your data in kind of a representative way so that you get an idea overall that the model is is doing something that's sensible. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really neat. It's It's basically a way of breaking down the problem but the problem that you're breaking down is a problem that on its own is too complex to understand. Yeah, so you're solving it in like a lot of individual places and then saying that if all of those places, it looks like things are okay, that we're moving towards a place where the, the model as a whole is okay. And so then the way that they checked that SP-LIME is actually, for example, going to give you more helpful information about whether your model is doing something sensible or not, they took this this wolf dog example was actually one of the ways that they uh, tried to verify that the explanations of the models that people were getting were actually helping sort of these non-expert evaluators decide which of two models was was better. So they sent to people on Mechanical Turk. uh, So these are just non-experts. Oh, just random random people from the internet. Wow. And they sent them some sort of descriptions and representative pictures from uh, this neural net model that had been sort of purposely trained to recognize whether there's snow. And they asked uh, people on the internet, like, do you think that this model would do a good job of classifying sort of arbitrary additional new pictures of, of wolves and dogs? And people were like sort of mixed on it. Some of them said, yeah, it looks like it would do a good job. Some of them said no. Um, but the idea is that the the correct answer here is no, because it's what it's really doing is just figuring out what the background is. Right. But if in order to answer no, you as a human need to identify that it's probably just looking at the background. Right. And which so, means that you as a human needs need you need to see the pattern that it's finding. And that's what Lyme allows you to do is that they sent right. then a different group of of subjects sort of the same information, but now with this additional layer of explanations where it's sort of highlighting the patches of pixels that um, are being identified as important for making the the classification choices. And basically everyone said, no, this is not going to do well in in future cases because it's it's it hasn't actually learned what a dog or a husky is. It's just learned what snow looks like. Um so that's really cool. Yeah, so it was pretty neat. And then I think that the neatest thing about this is I found the paper, to be completely honest, I found it like kind of hard to understand. And some of the the inner workings, I'm not sure I still completely understand. I'm not sure if I would be able, for example, to replicate this uh, this algorithm on my own just from the paper. However, I don't have to because there's a GitHub package that has Lime in it and SP Lime, and it has some IPython notebooks where they actually take uh, scikit-learn classifiers and they train them up things like random forest things that are hard to understand mm-hmm. um, and then they send them into lime and then lime will produce uh, lists of explanations and pictures and then you can actually see um, sort of how certain documents uh, are getting classified as 
you know, atheism, atheism versus Christianity, I think is the, is the example that they use. Um, and so that's kind of neat that, that the code is all available there with some examples and you can go in and try it out and see if it works for you. This is something that I don't see as often as I wish I did. And it's, it's really like, it's really pretty fun. So, um, if you're ever in the market for some light model interpretation, give it a try and, you know, let us know how it goes. Cause I think that's neat. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.